The first reading is from Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 7, and verses 12 to 18. Be silent before the Sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he invited. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs and who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build their houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be the day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed for he will make a sudden end of all those who live on earth. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each in according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here, this is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to one, of the, the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even though what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. We'll be reflecting on uh, those uh, words in a moment, but before we do, let's offer ourselves to God. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. Um, some difficult things in those words, really difficult. But we pray that you give us your spirit and that you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today, as I mentioned earlier, the theme with, we picked, I picked up has to do with stewardship, the role of a servant. Um, in Jesus' day, servants, servants were the property of their masters. They had no freedom. Their owners could even sell them to someone else. In fact, the words servant and slave are often used interchangeably in the, in the scriptures. Servants were required to do the master's bidding. And in return, they were cared for. Generally, they were cared for by their master. Some people actually sold themselves as slaves. That way, they could have a better life for themselves and their families. Some were better educated than their, than their masters even and served as teachers for their master's children. Slaves of rich masters had all kinds of opportunities that, would have, that they would never have had on their own. They had positive prospects, generally. Slaves of higher-class wealthy families, in fact, and of high officials, were a class above the ordinary peasants' class in, in, in Palestine. We know that Jesus had a very high regard for servanthood. Remember the story of the mother of the disciples, James and John? She had sought honor for for them in Jesus' kingdom. She wanted one to sit on Jesus' right and the other on Jesus' left. Remember what Jesus said to her? Well, I, I think I've got the slide next coming. Um, it has the passage from Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. Uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see in God's kingdom, being a servant carries a very positive and honoring responsibility. However, responsibility 
Responsibility is responsibility. What do I mean? What is responsibility? Responsibility comes with accountability. And we see it dramatized in this parable, the parable of the talents. There is a chain of expectation as we read through it, from servanthood to responsibility to accountability to rewards at the end. And in the parable, the rewards come with either commendation or condemnation, depending on the servant's conduct. In telling this parable, Jesus is challenging his disciples to work as faithful servants so that they would receive a commendation. And that's the challenge Jesus puts to his followers today. The message in the parable is very stark, but it's also very crystal clear. We may be tempted to sugarcoat it so that it's more palatable to our modern sensibilities, but I'll stick with Jesus' sentiment here. In, in verse 3, Jesus', Jesus disciples ask him, and this is how it all began. He, they asked him, how will the end of the age occur? And what signs will they see? And so Jesus begins to talk about what it will be like. And, he goes, and after he goes to the Father, he talks about what it will be before his re- eventual return. Our passage comes towards the end of their conversation. Last week's reading dealt with the first part of the lesson where he gave the parable of the ten virgins. And the lesson there showed that the disciples needed to be ready, to remain ready, to stay ready, to stay prepared for his return. And so he continues the lesson of readiness in this parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and trusted them with his wealth. To one he gives five bags, to another two bags, to the third, one bag, each according to his ability. More traditional Bible translation used the word talent for a bag of gold. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but a talent was rather a large quantity. A talent of gold weighed about 75 pounds or 35 kilos, roughly the same as a small person. It was the largest monetary denomination at the time. A talent was worth about 15 to 20 years of a laborer's wage. Basically, a laborer would have to toil half of their working life in order to gain a single talent. The master knew each servant's ability, and so he assigns talents according to the servant's ability. And then he goes away. After a long time, he returns. He asks each to give an account of what they have done with his wealth. And there's two kinds of response in this story. There is the faithful servants and the unfaithful one. To the the faithful ones, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The third servant didn't receive that response. In fact, he came trembling to his master and made an excuse, a rather bad excuse. He says to him, I know you are a hard man, harvesting where you don't sow. 
And so I buried what you gave me in the ground. Here is what belongs to you, he says. And he gets condemnation for that. Jesus is teaching that those who employ their talents receive commendation, but those who don't lose what they had initially. It's difficult to escape the lesson here. But it applied to to Jesus' disciples, and it applies to Jesus' followers today. The master has given responsibility along with talents, and there will be a day of reckoning. It's not good for us to simply return the talents we have been given. We are responsible for our talents. And the purpose is to build his kingdom. He has given us the privilege to be his co-workers, to, to join with him in establishing his kingdom as he returns. And so the important thing in, 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 our, in our case is to determine our talents. The important thing is not the amount we are given. We might be tempted in the story, we might be tempted to feel sorry for the third servant. He received only one talent. You might say, poor him. But actually, he received an enormous value of gold, if we think of, of the actual value of a talent. If I hold, it's probably close to a million pounds if you were to convert the value into today's money. He received that, and then he buried it in his backyard. That's all he did. And the lesson is, is simply we must never minimize the gifts God has given us. God knows us through and through. He knows our abilities. He knows what we are capable of. We are, and also the parable teaches us we're not all created equal. God knows our capacities. And so he gives us according to our ability. God does not expect identical or necessarily equal results from each person. The important thing is not to compare ourselves with others, but to be faithful with what we have. And it's a reminder that when we come to Christ, we belong to him. We belong to him. And we enter into a call of servanthood, into a call into his purposes. Being faithful with talents means to being faithful to achieve God's purposes. And God promises us rewards. If we multiply our talents, he commends our faithfulness. And so when he returns on the last day, we will all want to hear his report for us. Well done, good and faithful servant. We want him to say to us, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and enter your master's joy. Come and share your master's happiness. How we live determines how we will be received. And so as I finish, just just take three simple things to apply from this parable. Firstly, it's important for us to know God's sovereignty in our lives. We're reminded in this parable that it's illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. Our perception and attitude towards God affects how we live. God is sovereign over all things, 
Everything I have belongs to God. Everything I am is because of God. Everything I've received is due to him. Jesus says in the, a kingdom can be compared to a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. That is our Lord. The money that was given to the servants is not their own. The money they earn with the capital is not theirs. The servants are only stewards of the master's investment. The master seeks to measure and to determine their stewardship on, the, on, the, on his return. He is not some harsh, ruthless person. He's actually generous and loving. And so we should not be fearful or afraid of God, like the third servant. Our lives should not be inhibited or stilted. Instead, recognizing his place in our lives, we should come humbly to him. Secondly, we should seek earnestly to discover and acknowledge those talents he has given us. Do you know your talents? The talents which God entrusts to us include natural gifts, things we might often account to ourselves, perhaps because we don't remember a time when we ever asked God for them. But nevertheless, he is a source of all that we are, all that we are, all our abilities. Everything comes from him. And that also includes spiritual gifts, which the Lord gives. They exist in our lives for God and for his kingdom. I might ask for those who were here about four weeks ago, how did you do on the uh, spiritual gifts test, if you were able to get through that? Did you manage to speak to someone about it? Even if you knew them already, when you give, think about this, when you give someone a gift, and we're very soon coming to this season of gift giving. When you give someone a gift, you want to share a bit of happiness with them, right? You want them to be pleased when you give them a gift. So think about Christmas. Jesus says, if you discover your gift, he desires for you to walk in that gift. It is for your good. And when you do that, you discover a measure of the happiness of the Most High God when you discover your gift. There is a pleasure that you receive when you walk in your, in your God-given gifts. And just as we, as we take pleasure in the gifts we receive from others, and thirdly, use your talents to build up the kingdom of God. There is an old American idiom you may have heard of. It goes like this. Them as has gets. You heard that? Them as has gets. It's a short slangy form of Jesus' words. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. It applies to the first two servants. Them as has, gets. 
Put in reverse, there's another idiom that uh, this demonstrates what's happening. You might say, use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. The third servant learned that lesson the hard way. Use it or lose it. It's true of money. If you don't use your money and you just bury it in the ground, in the long term, it loses its value. It's true of our time, certainly. If you don't use it, it's gone. It's true of our brains. If you don't use them, what happens? It's true of our muscles. If you don't use them, what happens? And it's also true in God's kingdom. A parable of a talent shows that we will be, there will be an accounting and we will be responsible. And God desires to commend us. So if we know his sovereignty, if we discover his talents and gifts for us, and we use and build on those talents, he promises at his return the reward of entering into his happiness, eternally with him, living in the very presence of God. So as we look forward to our inheritance, let's set our hearts on entering the joy of faithful servants. He is worthy of our service. He is worthy of our service. He is worthy. May we be found faithful. Amen. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, thank you for our lives. Thank you for all that you have given us. And thank you that you are Lord of love and grace. We ask that you would fill us with your, your spirit, that we would know your purpose in those gifts that you have blessed us with. And help us to use them for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.